ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Hello, Africa. It's My Life and Sing Hallelujah remains some of the most successful tracks from the 1990s, a result of the fruitful collaboration between the Nigerian-born songwriter-rapper Dr. Alban and the late mega-producer and songwriter Dennis Pop, who himself went on to produce Ace of Bass, Britney Spears, NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. Alban combined hip-hop, reggae, dancehall and Eurodance in a highly successful mix. Recently, after many years, I caught up again with the man who chose Eurodance stardom over dentistry. Dr. Alban, wow. You, don't, you know, something is, you don't look practically any different <laughs> from when I last saw you, which is like so many years ago. It's about a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. Incredible. So I need to know your secret, that's all. But uh, I want to start off by saying that you are Dr. Alban. Your real name is Alban Ensomo Enwapa. Yeah. And correct. names in Africa often have a meaning. So what is the meaning of your name? Uzoma is it's a, it's a, it's a good pathway, a path, the right way to go. <laughs> that's the right, the, the right path to walk on. <laughs> okay, that's one of it. What about Alban? Is there a, a meaning to that? Alban is English name. Oh, right. Okay, so that was <laughs> an English Saint Alban. You have it over all over the Lon- all over London. Saint Alban and all that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a bit of a religious name, I think. Saint yeah. Albans. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was growing up in Nigeria, Nigeria like? Because you grew up in a very s- small town, didn't you, Uguta? Yes. Um, right. Can you sort of describe it to me for someone who's never been, never been to you know, a small village in Africa to really understand what it was like growing up there and, and what was there. Yeah, what, what was there was not much there. The infrastructure is, you know, the, the little, little or no infrastructure. R- tap, running waters were um, kind of not too much. Running waters and electricity was not too much. And um, dogs in the street running up and down. <laughs> People don't own those, these dogs. And um, of course, I went to school there, and um, everybody, everyone knows everyone. So that that's pretty much what it is. Was that is that good or is that bad when everyone knows everyone? It's good security-wise. It's good because if anything happens, you can you know who to talk to, you know who to go to. It's good somehow. But then 
you, you, you cannot go, you cannot mess up. You cannot do anything wrong. If you do anything wrong, everyone knows you. <laughs> so what did you do What that was wrong when you were young? <laughs> we don't say that, Steve. <laughs> okay, we part, politely pass over that one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, grew, you grew up in a large family, didn't you? With, with many brothers yes. and sisters. How many people were in your family? Ten. Five brothers and five sisters. And, and where were you? Were you in the middle or the in the office? middle? In the middle. Okay, that's that's a shitty position to be in. I know, I know. In the middle, you know. So what was it? Was there sort of a fight for attention from your parents? Because I think in a big family, quite often there's a little bit of competition in the family to get. You know, you want mum to do this or dad to do this, so you're trying to get their attention. Was it like that? And were you someone who had to fight for attention at that point? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, attention. There was a lot of competition, but um, we were taught that we shouldn't do that. And so we, we grew up not trying to fight each other. So whenever anybody wants to fight, the dad or mom will be saying, no, 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 no. But it, it, was, it was competition because everybody wants, everybody wants to eat that. Everybody wants to sleep in that particular room. Everybody wants to be in that bed and all that. But we were taught not to do that. So, you know, if you say that your parents gave you that as something that not to be in competition, yeah. what else did they, would you say from your childhood, leave you with that has stayed with you your whole life? What sort of, you know, morality or what sort of ideas did they give what, you that have stayed well, with you? The, the, the first thing he said, he was not that rich and... Um, he said, you are 10. What I will say is that everyone will be educated. I wouldn't buy a Rolls Royce. I wouldn't build big house or anything like that. But education is the key to success. Education is, that's exactly what is going on in Africa. If people were educated, it would be easy to understand what's going on. But illiteracy is causing so much problem. And if I, were, if I was to be a president of Nigeria or president of Africa or whatever, I will make sure that education, everybody will go to school. Just like in Sweden, if you, if, if you don't go to school, the police will come and get you. In, in Nigeria, that's not the case. So education is all, that's the basic. So my mom and my dad, they promised all 10 of us education and we did get that. And that is not even a small education. Everyone is a graduate of a university from, from the 10 of us. We are doctors, lawyers and engineers and all that. So, and they taught us that it's very good that we learn how to speak out, tell the truth and be straightforward. That's what I got from them. What sort of music was played in the household? What sort of music did your parents listen to? Well, they listened to the local stuff that was played in the village there. And then um, we did listen to the big Nigerian act, Fela Kuti, Fela Ransom Kuti. Sonia Day and all that, you know, so we did listen to them as well. I mean, fellow Kuti was the father of Afrobeat. He was uh, also quite politically minded and yeah, yeah. social minded. Yes. So how, how important was that part of his music to you growing up to have those ideas about your society? He, he, was, he was good. And uh, I listened to Fela Kuti all the time. That he, one, of, one of the guys I did listen to was Fela Kuti. So his political speeches and lyrics and all that, you know, you know, every Nigerian liked him. 
not only not only Nigeria in Africa and the, and the world. So Felakuti did influence my, my my way of thinking definitely. What about your brothers and sisters in terms of what they listen to? Um, because I mean, I, I'm I was brought up in a family with two brothers. I'm the youngest, and obviously, you know, my oldest brother was a Beatles fan. My other brother liked sort of oh god, which music that I really didn't like at the time, which was American sort of folk type music <laughs> and 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 i sort of grew up in the in the bowie era you know so bowie was my sort of first mm -hmm. hero so what sort of music did they sort of bring to you and then what was the moment where you changed your musical tastes well um we did listen to this local nigerian music and then we did listen to fella all everybody together and all that but as we grew up we, we started listening to what was going on in the 70s in America, we started listening to like the Cool and the Gang, Diana Ross, James Brown and all that. And all of us, all the whole family did listen to that. So we grew up listening to the same music, definitely. I mean, when I hear that, that you grow up in a sort of family that has five brothers and five, there are five boys and five girls, you're one of 10. Yeah. And there must've been some big social, um, well, I mean, I find it a really nice thing that there you have a huge family and you're probably never bored because you've always got someone around. Yeah. You're probably always busy. Um, is that something that you look back at and say that is something that was very special today, just to look back at that and say to be brought up in such a large family was a really good thing? Or is it something that you look back and go, actually, I'm glad I don't have that? No, it's not really. I live in Sweden. I have two kids. I have uh, two kids, and um, when I look back, I said, oh, we were 10, now I have only two. Sometimes I feel that there was more togetherness <laughs> in my family than the one I have now. The one I have now is just two girls, one 18, one 14. So um, they, they were, they, 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 there was more togetherness. There, I mean, there was always somebody there. There was always somebody to look after you. There was somebody you have to talk to. to, talk to. I, I prefer the, the big family <laughs> than did, the small family. I do. Were there different expectations of life, do you think, being in that type of family? Well, um, the expectation was that everyone has to become something and, and help each other. That was the expectation. We were 10. We did. After a while, our, our father and mother, they retired and we were supporting them. I supported them almost till, till they died. Both of them, they, they passed. So we, 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 were, we were trained to support each other. So that's, we still do that today. I have one in Vegas that's a doctor. I have one in London that's a lawyer. I have, you know, we have one in Sweden that's an engineer as well, living in Sweden with me. So we are scattered all over the place. I have some in Nigeria as well. So we were trained to help each other, to stand by each other. So you were, you were brought up and educated in this small town, and then eventually um, you and I presume also your brothers and sisters started traveling. So where did you go? Where did you uh, dream of going? And then where did you go? Well, I ended up in Sweden. I left Nigeria. I came to Sweden. I was visiting um, uh, an uncle that was working in the Nigerian embassy in Stockholm. So I ended up here. I was to do this dentistry five years and go back, but that didn't happen. I stayed here. And then under the time I was doing this 
this dentistry, this course in the university. I was, I lacked a lot of money. I didn't have money. I had to DJ in between records. I had to DJ in between the studies as well and um, to make money to support the studies. And that got me into music. And that's why I never went back. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So going back to when you first came to Sweden, what were your feelings? Can you remember the first day that you were in Sweden and what your feelings were? Because, I mean, just on a weather basis, (laughs) you know, you go from one of the hot places of the world to one of the cold places of the world. Yeah. And it, you know, I mean, it sounds superficial and everything, but it makes a big difference. You know, when you when you go somewhere and it's really cold, it's you do feel closed and isolated, and it, you know, there's a different mentality yeah. that goes with the weather often. So, what were your first impressions of of Sweden? Cold. That, that's a short one. <laughs> Very cold, but such nice people. I mean, if you think about living in Europe where they don't speak English. Everyone spoke English in Sweden. Everybody. It's like Germany. If you go to Germany, you find it. Some people do. Some people wouldn't. In Spain, it's the same. In Italy, it's the same. But in Sweden, everybody speaks English. Just like you go to Netherlands. Most of the people speak English. So I liked it a lot. It, it did help me a lot. So if I find myself in a country where nobody spoke English, it would have been very difficult. But it was cold. Ice cold. <laughs> Now you you know you said that you you DJ'd in a club I think that was Alphabet Street but the yeah. the, the fact that you you don't just become a DJ so was that the first job you had or did you do other things or how did you actually become uh, a DJ Yeah that's a good question I was actually a cleaner in this club and the day the DJ didn't show up the owner told me you have to jump in for him. So how do I do that? Never DJed before, never changed records before. (coughs) All he said, just go, do the best you can. So I had to jump. So I became a DJ because the DJ never showed up. So I jumped in. (laughs) The the mixes were horrible. The, the, the The tracks were stopping in between. People were wondering what the hell is going on. So you can imagine the beats, the BPM, the tempos were, the variation in the tempos were horrible. But at the end of the day, there was no DJ and someone has to do it. I did it. So after that, the, the club owner said, oh, next time you try again. Next time you try again. That was it. That's how I, I continued, continued, and I had to learn how to do it. <laughs> at the end of the day, I became one. I mean, that's amazing because normally when you fail at something like that, you know, the audience aren't very pleased <laughs> and they don't want you back because you're not really, ga- you know, you're not really gathering an audience. Um, yeah, yeah, how yeah. did they react to you, the audience? They, we, we had to tell them what, well, what happened, that the DJ didn't come and somebody has to do the job. They, they understood that. And, um, and I was, I had a, a headphone and I was listening to the tracks and I, I could say, oh, I remember he plays this one. Oh, I remember he played that one. Oh, I remember, you know. So I was just, with my headphone, I was listening and then playing what I felt that I, I knew he was playing. That was it. And at the end of the day, it was okay. 
So you actually, when you took over then, you, you actually used the records of the permanent DJ that didn't yeah, turn up, yeah. I presume. Because so you, you had known from, you know, cleaning what he was playing in the background. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you just sort of chose some of the same records um, and, and played them. What, what was different about his musical taste to your musical taste? <laughs> well, I, I became influenced because I, I had to play exactly what I, I, I through my headphone that what, oh, I remember this, he used to play this. So I, I became influenced with what he was playing because I know that's what people like. That's why they came to the club. So I had to stick to that. So once I, oh, I remember this, okay. Oh, I remember this, okay. That was it. So when did the moment come that you said to yourself, because I imagine it was then and not even later with, with uh, actually making records, but even then at that point, you must have started to enjoy yourself as being a DJ. Was yeah. there a moment where you started to enjoy that side of life more than going and studying dentistry? Yeah, after after this DJ thing, and then I started. I was interested in it, and I wanted to take it, take it further. I wanted to move further with this, so I opened this club, Alphabet Street. And um, Alphabet Street was not this club that the DJ didn't show up. It was another club. So after that, I I got interested. I was became interested in that. I said, okay, let's do let let's let's do this Alphabet Street, and I'll be the DJ. And as well in this Alphabet Street, Dennis Pop played with me. Rob and Russ also did play with me in different days, you know. So when I played, I, was, I used to change records. I used to talk in between and um, rap or talk. And it was just all not good at all. It wasn't good at all. But Dennis Pop saw it and said, come on, we should do something with this. So I said, okay, uh, I thought he was joking. And then I got the beats. Empty beat, Hell Africa. And I said, come on, this sounds, this track is, it has some jungle drums in it. The, the title must be something with Africa to do. So I started writing on the lyrics and then I called the song, Hell Africa, tell me how you doing. And then that, that was it. So, okay, let's go back a little bit because that, you'd, Rob and Raz had already been successful with, with Leila Kay. They'd, you know, I think only a sort of couple of years before yeah. you were successful with Hello Africa, that they had had their success. So yeah. they were already doing well. Dennis Pop had already really started and to sort of garner a name himself, hadn't he, at that point? Yeah, he, but he, was, he didn't do much that time, I mean, just like me and him. We only, 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 only known people were Robin Russ and Leila Kay. So Dennis Pop was just a, a DJ. He was a DJ, trained DJ, and I was just starting. So with Dennis Pop, you, you sat down and you wrote Hello Africa. Who contributed yeah. what? How, does, how did that work, that process of work happen between you? He just gave me the beat. He did the beat already. He just gave me the beat. And when I listened to the beat, I had some jungle tribal drums on, the, uh, on it. And I said, it, ha it has to be something to do with Africa. So the lyrics must be something to do with Africa. So I went home with the, with the, with the demo. The demo he gave me, there was no vocals, no melody, no nothing. It was just the breeze. So I went on my road and I came back and then after one or two weeks and then we recorded it. So where were you with your studies at that point? Um, my studies, uh, that was, um, I have, I finished 87. 
1987, graduated 1987. The Hill Africa thing came 1989 and was released 1990. So I got that demo 89 from Dennis Pop. And this alphabet street, I was running it from 86. Under the time I was studying as well. So I graduated 87. So that had was, you started work as a dentist by then? Had I you actually work, started? I did work 87, 88 as a dentist one year. And then in the studio, 80, 80, 89. And then when the track got big, 1990, I left the dentistry, just left it. I mean, that is a huge decision because that, you know, it's one track. Yeah. And I know it's a great track. And I know it really, <laughs> you know, it launched your career, but it yeah. may not have launched your career. Do you know what I mean? It's a yeah, risk. yeah. Yes. So how aware were you that you were taking a risk or did you think, oh, well, I can always go back and be a dentist. It's easy. Yes, of course. If you have the if you have the certificate, you have the degree, you can always go back. Even today, I can fall back to it if I want. But when the song got big, it was difficult to do the two of them at a time because of the travel, I was traveling a lot. So I just definitely need to quit dentistry. What I loved about that track was there, there was this sort of longing in the lyrics for Africa. Yeah. Was that what was in your heart at the time? Can you just sort of describe that and tell me about that? It's, it's like when I had the track, I just said it, it, has to, yeah, it, has to, it has to be something with Africa to do. And I went home, I was writing one or two weeks. I don't remember exactly how long it took, but, um, I felt that this is exactly what is going on. It's, it's a good question you ask now, Steve, because Africa and Africans don't understand that unity, you can't do nothing without uniting. You can't do nothing without being in peace with each other. Nothing happens. So I had to tell them to unite, stop fighting, stop forcing and fighting and unite and then you should be able to do things together. This tribe is fighting the other tribe and that tribe. That's why I meant that the Manika tribe, the Hazar tribe, the Fulani tribe, the Buya tribe in, this, in the track. Because these tribes are always fighting each other because of a, a fucking piece of land. And the, the only way out is to unite. I mean, we, when we are in Europe, probably Sweden and Denmark will be, will be fussing and fighting. But the next day they are sitting down drinking coffee. That's how it is. Yeah, over here is people drink coffee. People might argue in the parliament. In the parliament, they sit down there, they argue. But when they get when they get out of the parliament, they're drinking coffee, and that's exactly the tone I wanted to set in Africa, telling them stop the fussing and fighting, unite, because without unity, nothing goes on, and that's exactly what is going on in Africa today. No unity, no development. One thing about that track is that it wasn't an instant success. You had to really work on it to be to be uh, a, a success. What, what did you have to do? Because I know that you, you've, you have immense drive. You're one of those people that I know has immense drive. Because I remember when I worked for MTV that the boss of MTV came to me one day and said, you won't believe who's just called me. And you had called him to ask him to put Hello Africa on the playlist. Now, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that, that's, that's unusual. It isn't really, it might be the management, it might be the record company, but it's not really the artist who phones up and says, yeah, I hey, know. I know. please play my track. So where does that drive? Do you think, where do you think that drive comes from? And what did you have to do to make that song successful? 
Well, um, that drive is uh, is very very important. I believe that the artists themselves sometimes you have to speak out and get to get to a point where you associate yourself with radio, TVs, and all that. So, I I did that in Sweden. I I went round with the record to different labels in Sweden. I did that. The 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 label didn't do it. The Dennis Pop didn't do it. He was just sitting down there as a as a DJ. So that the song got big and that Dennis Pop was able to produce more other stuff is because I did the work. I did the groundwork. I, I, I ran around with the, with the song to different levels. Finally, it got released and sold like six, 7,000 copies a day. And uh, I, I called MTV. I called everyone. I even called you. I have good contacts with you. I had good contacts with everyone in MTV, Simone and all that. I, I, you know, that, that's, the way, that's the only way out. I cannot be hiding behind the label that we do, you know, it's good to have a good contact as, with the, the artists and the label and the radio and the TVs as well. I just felt that and it, it did work out. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever. So you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. I always was fascinated by that because to, to, to ask you the one part of that question again, because of the drive, where do you think that drive came from? in your life do you think that that's something that you inherited from your your parents or where was it mother and father right you got it yes that drive came from my parents yes it did and their drive was what to give you a better life to give their yeah, family a better you, life you, you should speak out you should try you should work hard you, you can get it if you really want it but you have to try you have to try you have to strive you have to work out you have to do you can't sit down and and want things to work, to, to, to happen when you don't do nothing. <laughs> if you do something and it do, if it doesn't work, then you know that you've done something, but you cannot sit down and wait for something to happen when you haven't done anything. So I didn't really believe, I didn't really believe in, in, in the label to do those, those things for me. I did, I did most of the job myself. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Eddie Grant also had a track called Hello Africa. Was that something that you, you, um, had it sort of inspired you or was it something that you, you knew about even at that time? I knew about the song, but when I, when I listen to the, when I listen, when you listen to the grant and listen to mine, my track is, is, is a lot of African drums in them. So yeah, yeah, I needed, I needed to talk about a lot of politics, even in, in El Africa, I was say, I talked about Mandela. I talked about Martin Luther King. Mandela had a dream and all that. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King had a dream. And what 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 is really was was that it does not really the, the proverb in the song El Africa it does not really matter 
whether a cat is black or white, what really matters is for the cat to catch a mouse. So what, what, what does it matter who you are? Who you white or black or that or that or whatever you are? Who cares? It's, it's for you to get the job done. <laughs> the, the cat is to catch the mouse. Even the cat is black or white or whatever the cat is. It doesn't matter. So th th that's what it is. Eventually, you came to a, a having a contact with Logic Records in Frankfurt, didn't you? Yeah. Which is, I think they were the ones who were probably the most responsible for getting a video made and to get that right. video promoted. And that video was made with Paul Boyd, who later yeah. uh, worked with, uh, I think it's one of his first videos, and later he worked with Lenny Kravitz and Kylie Minogue. So it was a, yeah. a push in his career as well. What do you remember yeah. about that video shoot? And why do you think that video worked? We, 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 shot, we shot that video in Africa, in Kenya. And uh, I liked him. He, he, was, he was very strict in his, in, his, in, his, in his approach. He was strict. He, was, he said, you do this, you go there. You, they, they, they was, there, there was no storyboard. So a big storyboard that we worked with at all. When, when we got to Kenya, when we got to Africa, we, he, he was like impulsive. He was like, we do this, we do that, we do that, because we didn't really follow any storyboard. So he was strict. I liked him a lot for that. And the, the video came out very good. It was one of the best videos at that particular time. It was something that was very different. That's yeah, why yeah, I think different. it really worked. It yeah, had yeah, something yeah. very different about it to yeah. other videos that were being made at that time. You yeah. say that he was strict, and that's something that you really liked. That's yeah. something that you are. That's something that your father is. Yeah. And what was the reaction of your father to the fact that you were becoming a pop star and you'd given up dentistry, something that he obviously wanted you to become? They did not like it in the beginning. They didn't like it. What did he say uh, to you? They, they always thought that pop stars are drinking a lot. Pop stars are on drugs. This is, this is a common thing that people think. You know, the pop stars are drinking, drunkards are drinking, they are, they are doing this, they are doing that. But drinking and, 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 and drugs were the two, two most important things they, they said. So they thought I would find myself there. I said, no, 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 no. And then when the song got bigger and bigger and they would sit down in Nigeria and see the video, watch the video, and people were calling them, say, oh, I just saw, I saw your, your son on MTV. The video was on MTV and all that. So gradually they started accepting the situation and uh, at the end of the day it became okay after uh, like 91 92 when when it's my life came that was like the, the boom and they, they they accepted it immediately you're listening to pop the history makers with me steve blame you say that they accepted it immediately, but It's My Life had, what were the lines in It's My It's My Life, Take It or Leave It, Set Me Free, What's That Crap, Papa, Know It All, <laughs> I've Got My Own Life, You've Got Your Own Life, Live Your Own Life and Set Me Free. I, you know, if I was your dad, I heard that, I think, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be that pleased. I mean, that was, a, that, that was you ex expressing your, your freedom away from your from family and, and your previous life, as it were. So 
<laughs> how did they react to those lyrics? I didn't. I I I I I, I think that they didn't really listen to the lyrics. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the thing is that so they were able to become proud of you for something else. That's yeah. really where it led, was it? Yeah. And at the same time, I think with a couple of years to come after that, after the release of Israel Africa, they, 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 they still saw me as their son and that I was not drinking. When I come home to Nigeria, I visit every Christmas. I visit them every Christmas. So I went home 90, I went 91, 92, 93, before they passed, 94. So they saw that I wasn't drinking and I, and, and I wasn't taking any drugs. So they were happy with the situation. I mean, they weren't that wrong. I mean, pop stars do drink and do take drugs. <laughs> I mean, you don't. And I'm sure there are lots of others that don't, but there are certainly lots that do. So I sort of, I can understand if they have a fear of that, why they had a fear of that, because yeah, there's yeah. some truth to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the fact that you had that distance, that physical distance from Sweden to Nigeria was, was, the reason that you could finally follow something that your heart was really into. Do you know well, what that, I mean? Because I think once you get away from the parents and once you're out of their reach in a way, it sets you a little bit free from being the child. You become the adult and you become the one who chooses what they want in their life. Yeah, definitely that that's true. But what 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 could they do? They couldn't have done anything because I was four or five thousand kilometers away from them. And I and I what can I do? I, all I have to do is to be a good citizen. And this is my new home, you know, abide to the rules and regulation around me and be a good citizen. And I've always strived to be that. And I I'm still the same, trying to be a good citizen of of, of Sweden. And uh, I have a Swedish passport, living here for so many years now. So that's how it is. If you're in Rome, you behave like the Romans, wherever you are. And that's what I believe in. And I think everyone should do that. How did, you know, at that point, I mean, with It's My Life, because that became such a phenomenal um, success. Yeah. And that track was the thing that sort of really established you. You had the first one with Hello Africa, but It's My Life was the one that then really established a career, I think. Yeah. And it also brought you attention. It brought you fame. I presume it was the first stirrings of some money as well. So love, it, was, it was a change in your, your life. Yes. How did you deal with that change in your life? Well, it was a lot of money on, from that track, sold so much. Even today, the money I still get from this track, you, you can imagine. And this track has been remixed a lot. And this track has been used in commercials, like the Tampax commercials and in the UK and um, in many other countries. It's huge. And still, people are still remi remixing this track. And it's been in so many commercials all over. Denmark is using it even now as we talk. There's a commercial with it in Denmark now. It's my house that like they're using it for. It's, it's, a, it's like a, a furniture company that's using it now. So great track and um, generated so much money. When I talked to um, Mikkel Munzing, who you probably know from Frankfurt at that time, yes. from yeah. Snap, yes. um, he told me that the power made him 300 million. 
which is such a phenomenal euros, which is such a phenomenal amount of money. Yeah. I mean, was is it in that region because it's such a big song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It is. It's. It's, it's still. The thing is that it's still generating so much money today. It did really. It's. It's difficult to tell you how much money he made, but it was a lot of money, and so many tours, so many touring here and there that this 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 track generated so much touring even now the 90s is big everywhere so radios and tvs played commercials and big track all time you, you could live with this track i wouldn't even do any other thing i mean you went on to have a number of other hits with no coke with sing hallelujah and it goes on with quite a few look, hits talking yeah one yeah look at and it went up to about 19 um 97 i think something yeah, yeah. around that yeah that sort of those years now that's yeah. a you know in pop history that's a long time i yeah. mean many pop stars have like around about four years maximum yeah. in terms of their their longevity their success or their yeah. big successful years let's put it yeah. that way and yeah. then in 97 you know for you it sort of changed along comes different styles and and you know then you you you're out in a certain to a certain extent, a bit like yeah. I was with MTV. You know, like there was a certain yeah, yeah, period yeah. of being in, yeah. and then you're out. Now I remember when that period, when my career was inverted commas a little bit over, um, I would be recognised as MTV. Oh look, there's MTV. There's Steve Blaine from MTV, yeah. and it was always in connection with my past that I felt a bit detached to, and it wasn't me anymore. So how was that for you in those years after the main, you know, success? Did you feel dis a disconnect to who you, uh, how you were perceived and who you were as a person at that point? Well, it's apparently the same thing. But um, when you walk in the streets, you see people say, Hell Africa, they're screaming. There are two songs they always sing, want to sing. It's my life and hell Africa. So people are singing this track, or even today, in the street in Stockholm, you see someone, hello Africa. And you look back, and somebody shouting. They, they wouldn't call you Dr. Alban. They wouldn't call you your name, Alban. They would say hello Africa. You know. So that's that's been a part of me, and uh, it's nothing I can do about it. It's, I'm stuck with that. <laughs> but you're stuck with it in a good way, in a sense, aren't yeah, you? Because yeah, yeah. there's also that period. There's that period where there's a lull. And it does seem to, like in life, you say the 90s are back in, you know, there was, we had a long period of the 80s back in and all these artists, uh, including you, sort of come back in waves over the years yes. and, and have a sort of rebirth, as it were, which is sort of what's happened to you because of that, of all these uh, things are in. Um, how do you deal with it differently today than back then, because the first time that you achieve all these things, the first time that you get money, the first time that you get fame and success, you deal with it a little bit differently because it's new and you don't really know what to do. That's my per perception of it. Later, when it comes again, it's it doesn't feel so important. You can deal with it in a different way. How do you approach it today that's different to back then? Well, th this is this is one of the, this is a good question though, Steve, because uh, when it's big and hot, you know, you just don't know how to deal with it. And then you're probably also younger at that particular time. So things, you know, and that's how many artists, many pop stars stick and take to drugs and alcohol. 
because it's difficult, they find it difficult to manage the situation in, in which they are. And then I never took to that drugs and alcohol. I never did that. And um, when the careers finish, just as we were talking about you between for you and in MTV and for me, like 1997, or when the career go will go down or went down, what do you do if you're still not stable enough? You you will take to more drugs and more alcohol because that fame is not there anymore. You are not in the you are not in the front page anymore. You are not in the radio every day like you were before. You are not in the TV. So it's it was easy for me to handle it because I never, I wasn't dealing with alcohol. I wasn't dealing with drugs. It was a little bit easier for me to do. But if you are already dealing with it when you were artist and big and everything was huge and, and suddenly it's no more there. The tendency that you, you increase your alcohol consumption or drug consumption is there. So I felt good that I wasn't dealing with that. But okay, that's in a way, it's like you have this enormous drive and then in a sense, the drive where you put that drive is taken away. And I understand your point that some people, yeah, they go in a different direction. I did it myself. You go in a different direction, but you still need to find something that fulfills you. You need to find something where you can put your drive and where you feel comfortable and where you feel your life is important for you. So what was that? What did you find at that point? Was there something else? Was it a family? Was it, I, I don't know. Where, where, did, where did you put your drive at that point? Family. Family. I, I, I came to a point, I said, okay, I, 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 my, 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 my oldest one is 18. Actually, well, I was late in, in getting kids. I was late. So I felt that, okay, I was doing this traveling and all that. I, it was my priority at that particular time. And when the career went down a little bit, 1997, I said, come on. Old enough to get kids, wife and all that. So I stuck to that. I said, okay, this is what I have to do. And then that I will still be touring and doing music part-time and things like that. So family was, family was it. That was it. Your, the answer to your question is family. So your father was very strict. Your father wanted you to have an education. Yeah. What did you want? What do you want for your children? What did you install in them that is the same or that is different from what your father installed in you? That education. Education. And uh, they're doing very well. They're doing absolutely very well. They have A in everything. So education. And that is what I still feel that is needed in most developing countries. Education is it. Without education, these countries will remain undeveloped. That's the difference between the so-called developed countries and underdeveloped countries. The developed countries, everyone is educated. The underdeveloped countries, people are not educated and people are not forced to be educated. And if people are forced to be educated, they will make correct decisions, who to vote for and what to do. But whose fault is it that they're not educated? Is it the systems in Africa or is it the Western world which has taken all the resources of Africa? I don't know. It's, um, it's so many reasons, Steve. But um, I think that all the presidents of Africa should give free education to at least, at least secondary school level 
if you don't give a free education to university level, do it at secondary school, after elementary school, do it at elementary school even, or second, but in Nigeria, millions of kids are out of school. In Africa, millions of kids are out of school. So, so what happens is that one rich man comes to a village in Africa and say, hey, there's an election. You have um, this money, one pound each. You vote for this party. They don't even know what the party stands for. They don't know what, who the party, who is the, who is, who is the man, the figurehead in the party. But they are being given money. They are not. They are not educated. They don't have TV. They don't have radio. They don't have nothing. So this is the problem. Education remains for development. Education remains the key. You've also been involved in sort of education campaigns. You know, the, we. I mentioned the trap no coke. You know, yeah. uh, earlier um, there was also you also re-recorded Hello Africa as Hello Sweden during the the mist of of COVID, didn't you? For people to yeah. wear. Yeah, wear masks. So you've been involved. You're, you've often been involved in uh, education things. But I want to leave you with a question, which I, I find really fascinating, because, you know, with all your background being brought up in Nigeria with this very big family, with your father installing this moral of 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 work, of getting an education in your life, and then at in your twenties, you becoming a pop star, and you mentioned that your son is eighteen. What's going to happen when he's 23 and he turns around to you and says, Dad, I'm giving up <laughs> being a doctor. I'm going to make music. Uh, well, it's a girl. What I'll say to her, what I'll say to her is that you can't force anybody to do anything. So not, not even in Africa, not even in Sweden. So what I will do is I will try to talk sense into her, into her tell her what I think is right to do. And then the, the decision is hers. She's 18 now. She's going to be 18 now. So I, I can, I, I can, it's her life just as the song is. It's, it's her life. <laughs> so I will just try to talk sense. That's the, that's the only thing I could do. And then after that, she has to make the decision. Now, Dennis Pop was obviously uh, a very important person in your career mm -hmm. um, and life. And when he, when he passed, how much of, effect, of an effect did that have on you as a person? Well, um, all we created, the, so the sound we created and the way we did it, all that, we, well, I had to start looking for somebody else to replace him. It was a difficult time. And um, I, get, I think he passed 96. So, and after 94, when we did look at Stalking, that period of two years, he was really, he did a sub base, he did Backstreet Boys, he did, he was busy. So I said, I said to myself, come on, we opened the gate for lots of people, lots of the Swedish dance music, the European dance music, even the world dance music came in. He, he started producing so many people, but me and him did open the gates for a lot of people. So it was a, he, he was missed. He's still being missed today. So I started looking for somebody else, but it's difficult to get somebody as good as Dennis Pop. He was, was a genius. Well, I'll leave you with this. I'm going to be in Sweden soon, and we're going to meet probably because I'm going to be there at this Dennis Not Pop probably. Event. Not probably. We're going to meet. That's it. So listen, I want to thank you because you made some tracks. You made some amazing, great pop music 
tracks of uh, of an era when I was on MTV and they were part of the MTV playlist because you made sure they were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, and I'm really happy for you that they're, they're still paying off today and that you obviously have uh, a good life in a country that has adopted you and that you have adopted. So Dr. Alm, thanks very much. And I'm going to see you at the Dennis Pop event because I'm sure you're going to be there. Yeah, 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 definitely. We, we need to meet, definitely. It's been a long time, yeah.